an injury crisis, but Norwich City do make it 10 games unbeaten in the Championship. Still top of the table as well, so maybe depending on how full your glasses will uh, will dictate your Norwich City outlook at the moment. Um, I'm here reflecting on Norwich City's 1-1 draw with Coventry City. I'm Conor Southall, joined by City correspondents Dave Freezer and Paddy Davitt. Um, of course, we're coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM as well. Every Wednesday you can listen to the show, so uh, that's well worth checking out if, if you want to listen to us on the radio. Um, gents, how are we? Um, Paddy, let's let's start with you first and foremost. It was... Um, uh, well, let, let's let's start really with with the with the lighter side. You, you probably got the result personally that you wanted um, yesterday. A one-one draw for uh, maybe between head and heart a little bit, but um, a, a great result for you personally, I would imagine. Well, when it goes that late, yeah, yeah, um, with my commentary hat on, uh, got to be brutally honest. First thought was I'm going to have to do a rewrite, so maybe that shows I've been out of commentary too long and I've been in Norfolk for too long that I wasn't jumping up and punching the air, which <laughs> might have happened if I was a younger man. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not a great spectacle. I didn't think it was uh, two – it looked like two teams were in the midst of quite a gruelling period. It wasn't a lot of zip to the play, was there? So, um, probably just as good as well. <laughs> there wasn't any fans in because it wasn't much of a spectacle in terms of a, a game of football. But, ultimately, Coventry got their award for perseverance. I didn't, I didn't think they were offering too much in the final third, but – as we'll get into in far more depth, you know, Norwich's depleted resources. I think Farker didn't make Norwich, uh, Coventry, sorry, Mark Robbins made five changes, I think off the top of my head, certainly four, I think it was five, to try and alter or in effect that second half. Daniel, because he didn't really have too much in the way of, of resource. I don't think, I think it was Christoph Zimmerman was his first change 85 minutes in. So um, there was clearly a, a lot of, tiredness around that Norwich performance and it's to be expected because of the rather hard pack of well rather ha- rather difficult hand that Daniel's been dealt with at the minute in terms of the players he's got available the players he hasn't got available so you know Norwich looked like they'd done enough um, but it wasn't to be and uh, I don't think any neutral would argue that's probably a fair result on the balance of the game I don't think either side did enough to win it um, but Norwich would be, as they were, hugely frustrated to get that close with that amount of injuries um, and not quite get over the line. So two points gone, but uh, in the context of 10 and beating, still top of the table and a lot of injuries, probably not the worst afternoon really because it could obviously have gone quite badly, You know, given the, the team news leading up to the game and then you see the team that dropped and, and the lack of room for manoeuvre on the bench. Um, I think, yes, not the way it ended, but I think overall Daniel probably would get home last night and think, yeah, that could have that could have gone very badly. So in the context of the bigger picture, um, not a bad result. But uh, yeah, I, I was obviously delighted because uh, it's a win-win for me, that a draw, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dave, let's let's come to you. We'll reflect on the injury crisis in a moment, but I think um, Pad has sort of made or alluded to a, quite a pertinent point in in the game. Did it did the dynamic alter for you when Mark Robbins could enter those five substitutions into the pitch and shift the game and inject a, um, some fresh legs into it, as opposed to Norwich City maybe not being able to do that? Yeah, it did. I mean, I was surprised to see Paddy, you know, pulling his shirt over his head and running down the steps from the press box to celebrate. But, you know, these these things happen. Uh, no, he was. He, he, there wasn't even a quiet fist pump of celebrate. Uh, I, was gen- I, was gen- I was genuinely unhappy having to do a rewrite. That's that's the top and bottom of it. Uh, there you go. Sorry, sorry, my Coventry family. Sorry if they're, if they're listening. That's the reality of the situation. But, yeah, yeah I mean, when... When they switched to the four four two and they had two up top, it it definitely worked. But I felt Norwich were just running on empty that final twenty, maybe even thirty minutes. Um, Stephen and and Vrancic both, you know, not played regular ninety minutes this season, particularly not Vrancic. And I thought they were kind of passengers during those closing stages. To to be honest, you know, it was a big ask of Teddy to be playing a, a full match again twice in in the week and you know I can sort of understand Daniel not wanting to chuck young lads into that would Omatoye or, or Dixon Peters have been able to offer more than Stephen up front I don't know I, I felt like it was coming to be honest I felt like Coventry had really worked hard and and, and kept in the game and, and did deserve to, to get it um, you know it was a, a scrappy way to, to have done it but they had hit the post as well with that McFadden header hadn't they so in the end I, I, I think if you'd have offered 
Norwich fans a draw at the start of the day. It's probably one that you could have just about handled because of the overall situation. It's still 10 unbeaten and things like that. But yeah, I, when Zimmerman came on, you know, I don't think you can necessarily blame him for it. But that's a few games now where when they have switched to a three at the back or a five at the back, that it's not really worked because they it seemed to have disrupted them more than anything. But yeah, I just felt they were running an empty and it was coming. Yeah, I, I, I certainly got that impression as well, particularly in the second half. And, and I think the, the substitutes from Coventry contributed to that. Um, Pad, in, in terms of Norwich's bench, obviously they only named six substitutes, two of those, Omatoyi and, and, and Omabama Daly were, weren't fit enough to, to make the bench at Stoke. So that maybe sort of emphasises the injury situation um, even more. But is it going to reach a stage if, if this is the way that Norwich City are going to have to do things for the next few games where... Daniel Farker may actually, I, I know he was very protective of them yesterday, but it might be on Wednesday or next Saturday against Sheffield Wednesday. The game state dictates that actually one of those young lads are going to have to be exposed to the rigours of championship football. And if that is the case, is there an argument that, that perhaps Daniel Farker should have used a few more of those younger players from the bench yesterday? Yeah, I suppose there is an argument. But ultimately, 65 gone, 1-0 up, 70 gone, 1-0 up, 75, you know, you get into the 89th minute and you're still one up, then it's hard for him probably to turn around and say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do here. We're one nil up. We're in game management mode. We're, we're edging to the line. We're that close. I'm going to make a change and throw on one of the young lads because if project that scenario, he throws on one or two of them younger players, they lose the lead. You can imagine the, uh, the criticism that would have come his way. Why on earth is he exposing young players? So it works both ways. I don't think yesterday, uh, because of the way the game panned out in that second half, was probably a window for those guys. But to take your point, Connor, yeah, if you get to maybe not Luton midweek, but certainly Car Road next weekend, Sheffield Wednesday, Tony Pulis, you can almost feel now it's it's one of them games that they'll come here and battle and scrap and, and probably get their noses in front. So if, if he needs to alter the course of the game uh, in terms of go chasing a game next Saturday, then yes, what you would have to think about it if we're still dealing with no Hugel, no Eda, heaven forbid, no Pukey, and it's Steeperman leading the line with Rancic and Buendia as the creative pivots in and around him. Um, and I think he would do as well. He's, he's certainly not shown a, a lack of appetite to expose young players. Um, but with those, I mean, you mentioned Omatoy. I mean, he'd only played 45 for the development team on Friday afternoon, having been out for 10 or 12 days with, a, with an injury issue. So... Physically, he probably wasn't quite ready, never mind the sort of the emotional element of exposing him to the first team this early in his in his career. So, yeah, I think I think it's safe to say you, you would imagine those lads on Obama Daily as well, McAleer, they will probably now be, if they wasn't already, firmly plugged into first team training day in, day out, getting acclimatised to being around those senior players. So I think another week worth of that experience They'll probably go to Luton as well. They'll probably be on the bench because he doesn't have any really other options available. Um, so, yeah, so if, if I think if it got to next Saturday and the game dictated, he wouldn't have an issue play, play, playing those players because ultimately if he did, then, you know, the whole model that Norwich is, is built on now under him and, and Weber, um, you would have to start questioning it because it is built on fast-tracking young players who they feel are good enough and we won't know, will we? We didn't know until Max Aaron's got exposed or Jamal before him or Ben Godfrey or this season, you know, Barley Mumber, it would seem, Josh Martin now in the last couple of games. Um, he probably, in an ideal world, wouldn't want it to have brought those development players who were on the bench yesterday anywhere near his first team, but we're not living in an ideal world. So, yeah, I think yesterday, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really point out why he didn't introduce those boys because I don't think the game dictated it necessarily. Um, but certainly moving forward, uh, he's the head coach who has forged a reputation on giving you for chance. So that's not going to change, is it? No, and I would be inclined to agree with you in terms of the substitutes. I, I did have a great deal of sympathy. I think when you consider a few weeks ago, he was looking behind him and, and had Jordan Hugill and Mario Vrancic and, and a wealth of sort of championship experience. And of course, yesterday they couldn't even fulfil the bench. And Dave, that, that sort of leads quite pertinently onto the injury that we saw in the dying stages. Norwich City are out their first choice goalkeeper, left back, um, striker at the moment as well, and now possibly 
certainly for Luton at least, it, it looks like possibly Max Aaron's. We saw him sort of leave Carroll Road on, on crutches with his left boot in a, in a protective boot. These things are always precautionary after the game, aren't they? But it didn't look good for Max Aaron's and, it, and he took quite a bit of time to make his way from sort of the, the, the back of the, the river end where, where he was to, to the tunnel. Yeah, he looked very uncomfortable. I'd imagine that's going to be one of those where once the swelling goes down, he's going to really feel the pain um, as someone who's uh, sprained both ankles twice. Um, I know all about that. Um, hopefully it's not his ankle, though, from what Daniel said, and it is it is a shin injury, but we'll have to see because he was moving you know, very gingerly, wasn't he? And that was probably, what, four or five minutes after the actual treatment had started by the time he got to the, got to the tunnel. So... You know, Daniel said it after the game, didn't he? He's sick of talking about injuries. We're sick of talking about it. You don't want to talk about this constantly. And and it's been, you know, obviously last season as well in, in defence and, and other bits and pieces. But right from the off this year, you know, Hanley still wasn't fit at the start. Dowell does his ankle in the first home game. Um, Byron was obviously already still out. Hernandez was early in the season. And it's just kept mounting and mounting and mounting. And it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous to, to have... 12 players that are unavailable for injury yesterday and Wendia are suspended. So you then, you, Aaron takes it to 13 for, for Luton potentially, unless Pookie and Rook can come back from their hamstrings strains. It's just ridiculous. And and to be top and unbeaten in 10, when you when you add that context into it, it's, it's a very, very strange situation. And if they can somehow manage to get through to January when they then have the option to, you know, recall a couple of loans, maybe if they want, or, you know, bring in a couple of more players if they see fit or, or whatever, you know, if it means ending Kintia's loan because they need to bring in another left back, you know, all those options are then available to them from January, aren't they? But there's still another seven games plus one on January the 2nd until they get to the FA Cup. So... <laughs> This is going to be a real grueling test, and, and and one thing which Daniel had previewed in his previews of, uh, in his press conferences a few times in recent weeks is that the intensity of this season is having an effect on the quality of the games we're seeing, and I think we definitely saw that. That was not much of a spectacle, I didn't think yesterday. I thought it was a reasonably drab game. Yeah, I, I would be agreeing. It's it's. It's interesting that, that those sort of voices and Jurgen Klopp, I saw his interview after the match yesterday, which he's uh, maybe sort of blaming broadcasters from a Premier League level. But Paddy, in terms of the intensity and the scheduling, and obviously we've seen internationals as well and an increased game into that, how much of Norwich City's current injury crisis do you put down to the scheduling this season and the calendar? Or are we strictly talking about luck here? Because I, I don't think it's any coincidence that, that Bournemouth find themselves with a few injuries as well. Watford also. Um, Coventry obviously made five changes. We're seeing a lot more rotation and a lot more injuries this season than perhaps we're accustomed to in any other season, particularly in the Championship. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's irrefutable. It has to be probably the major factor that the, the concertina nature of this season um, is it. I mean, when do we start? It was was it? I can't even remember now. It all merges into one, but uh, you September. know, yeah. So September. So that's that's a month hived off essentially. A season that is in, in championship terms forty six games long. Um, so to play that in a month less, very difficult. Then, of course, and this is very pertinent for Norwich. We're overlaying on top because of the huge pause in the international stakes for month after month after month this year. All those internationals, you know, with the last two windows now, two and three games for some of these Norwich players internationally, on top of a very congested domestic programme, it, it is, without a shadow of a doubt, contributed massively to these injuries. Of course, they're, they're, they're within any collection of injuries that any team have got, there will be just the pure bad luck ones. I mean, I've, Max Aaron yesterday, you know, he just literally throws himself at a challenge and, and comes off with what looks like a... A shin injury that's going to keep him out in the short term, certainly. Hopefully not, not the longer term. Um, it, that's no reflection on Daniel or what Daniel is or isn't doing at Colney. That's just the heat of a game and a player. Full-blooded challenge has come off worse. Um, the muscular ones, yeah. Uh, rups, pookie, obviously there has to be workload. That that cannot be anything else um, because you break it down. They're playing every three days. The travelling that goes into that as well. When are they actually doing too much on the training pitch? Bar probably just recovery and then some shape work maybe the day before a game. So, you know, 
in times past, Daniel's training regime has, has maybe come in for some criticism internally as well. Mar- Marley Watkins was famously seen as the source of the that story about the players were ready to mutiny at Farkas training methods. I, I distinctly remember that. Um, and that might well have been the case in the early part of his reign, certainly for the domestic players. They probably had to adapt to how Daniel wanted to work. But I think now, and he's spoken about this in recent press conferences, he's looking at everything he's doing and you can be sure um, they will be doing everything that, that's in their power to try and ease the workload. But ultimately, we go again in two day, two three days' time. We're at Luton, then it's Sheffield Wednesday. Then, you know, we're then on the cusp of the Christmas period, which is always a congested period. It's just relentless. Um, and I think ultimately, you hate you hate to flag this up, but it, it may cost a club like Norwich down the stretch because if you're without a Krul and a Pukki uh, and an Aaron's, for example, for any length of time. They are absolutely indispensable parts of a team who are trying to come back at the first attempt, tough as that is in its own right. Um, if you're then shorn of your really key players, your indispensable players, for chunks of the season, then it makes the task even harder. So I think there will be clubs, when the dust settles in May, it will look back and have probably been caught out um, because of the, the nature of this season and the workload. And, yeah, you touch on Klopp. I mean, he's had an absolute pop at the broadcasters. Um, and if that's Liverpool with all their depth of resource, then is it any wonder every other club in the country um, justifiably are struggling as well? Um, you just hope Norwich's squad was quite deep at the start of the season. There certainly certainly needs to be de- plenty of depth to it at the minute. But, you know, the Dowells, the Hernandez, the Byrams of this world, the Mumbas and the Eaters, they're all scheduled to be back early part of the new year. So it, it feels like it's just this period now, very, very rocky lot of games to navigate but if they can come through it uh, then we get to the turn of the year when it really does start to hot up and, and this season will be decided if they've got the bulk of those players available then you'd hope they'd be in reasonable shape but obviously between then and now is a lot of games and heaven forbid if if the injuries don't clear up in the interim the the pookies the rops uh, hugel you hope kenny mclean and obviously cruel and now aaron's if those guys are out for, for any length of time between now and the return of the longer-term ones, it's very hard to, to, to see Norwich being in the top rank to come the turn of the year because, as yesterday underlined, what has he got in terms of replacements? It's young, unproven development players. You can beg one or two of them into a team moving forward and doing well with experienced players around them. It's a totally different kettle of fish if you're, as it was yesterday, Christoph Zimmern on the side. None of those other substitutes had a league minute for Norwich. That's the scale of where we are at the minute. Yeah, it's 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 an incredibly unprecedented situation when you consider they register with the FL a, a 25-man squad and, and we're looking currently at, at potentially 13 injuries for Luton. That's half of that registered squad out injured, which really is... Um, extraordinary really i feel like i've i've been this job just over a year i feel like we, we cover injuries perhaps more than anything else but um fingers crossed that won't be the case soon um of course emmy buendia should be back from from suspension um for for wednesday's game to luton uh Farker was a bit more optimistic on, on lucas rook team and pookie he said it is pre-match potentially was an option although the way he was sort of speaking in that I kind of indicated that maybe he was more of an option for Sheffield Wednesday but if he's fit enough for the bench that'd be a huge boost for, for Norwich City. Um, Dave let's close off this debate about injuries by speaking about a certain Josip Dermic and um, of course over over the, the last couple of days we heard from Daniel on, on Friday that he was, he was an option maybe to come back into the Norwich City first team picture if Timu Buki's injury was a bit more long-term than perhaps they feared. Um, he, he revealed he'd, he'd been in, in Switzerland re- receiving treatment. That's something that Josip Dermic has, has replied to. I think he used a screenshot of our quotes actually on social media from, from that press conference. And um, uh, he said, I, I'm, I'm not injured. I'm, I'm just not wanted by the club. And it's quite rare for a player to sort of hit back on social media like that. It's, Obviously, not a particularly great situation for for any party when when it comes to sort of light on on social media. But what do you make of this Josip Dermic um, debate and, and and discussion that certainly I've seen a few Norwich City fans having on 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 social media platforms? Yeah, I asked him about it on Monday, didn't I? Ahead of the Stoke game, and he sort of laid out the situation. But we kind of all knew the answer wasn't going to be. Yes, Mo and Josip will be back in the squad soon. Can't wait to have them back on board because those bridges have been burned, haven't they? That's what Daniel can't say. He can't turn around and say, no, I don't want Mo Lider and Josip Dermich anywhere near my squad. They're not the right characters. 
they let me down last year. Um, what he did say is what we all know is that they both have the ability to perform at the in the championship. They both have the ability to be top players in the championship if they can find fitness and form, don't they? But Daniel can't come out and, and really lay it on the line as to what the reality of the situation is because they want to shift these guys. They're both on, on big wages. They wanted them gone in, in the summer. You know, the Farker was on the record. And, you know, we, we had a, a steer about their situation during the uh, latter stages of the season, haven't we? But then Daniel did go on the record, didn't he, and say that Tribal, Leitner and Dermich, they were not part of their plans moving forward. And he explained that that wasn't necessarily a reflection of their ability. It's just a case of they wanted to revamp the squad. They wanted to refresh things. They wanted to... You know, to kick on with a with a new group in the championship, and that meant that some had to go out. But it was only Tribal who managed to get out, and that was very late in the window, wasn't it? With a with a loan to Blackburn, so there was very little surprise, um, and and I don't think we'll ever probably hear the full situation until they've both gone, because I'd imagine Mo Liner is just the sort of player who, once he finally leaves, will then tear into Farker or or Norwich and say how shabbily he's been treated. That's that's probably his sort of um, personality, isn't it? But who knows? It's not a pretty situation. And, and Daniel and Stuart will both know full well that it needs to get sorted in January because Leitner was due to go last January and didn't either, did it? They haven't, he hasn't been able to get himself a move. And for all the criticism there was with the Stephen Naismith situation when they arrived, you've now got two players who aren't going to be on low wages, are they? And, you know, they all had wage drops after relegation, but these are two guys who have high profiles and if they're not going to be involved in Norwich, they need to get rid of them so they're not becoming this distraction and this problem. Yeah, absolutely. And and for so much talk, and, and Daniel speaks about it often, Paddy, about the togetherness and the importance of club culture. It's not particularly great when you've got a, a player maybe um, responding to, to quotes from, from the manager on, on social media. What, what do you make of the Josip Dermich situation? The fact that Daniel Farkas may be saying one thing and Josip Dermich is saying another. That maybe doesn't bode well for... For Norwich City's togetherness, uh, obviously we, we don't know how much first team players read or, or reflect on these sort of things, but it, it can't be a good thing for for Norwich City and, and and for Daniel or Stuart, for that matter. No, it's uh, an unwanted distraction. Um, to be fair, I mean Daniel didn't say any anything on Friday that he was injured, uh, so I think Josip to, to in his social post last night is you know I'm not injured, I'm just not wanted. Well. He's not contradicting his manager on that aspect of it for me because he basically made it clear in his quotes on Friday, which are available on, on Pinkin.com, that he'd had this issue earlier in the season. He'd gone back to Switzerland to get it checked out. Um, and then he was obviously then having to quarantine, essentially. Uh, he talked about he needed to have two coronavirus tests. He had to get two negative results um, before he could, he could rejoin the group. So I think Daniel was more or less saying... And to be fair, Daniel also said, well, if Timo or Jordan are still unavailable in two to three weeks, then the door isn't closed. So, you know, Josip clearly hasn't uh, maybe read the, the entirety or the context of those quotes um, for him to then sort of flag up that I'm not injured because I don't think Daniel said he was injured. So I found that a little bit confusing when I saw his Instagram story. Um, but, you know, ultimately we only get fragments of what's playing out behind closed doors. But clearly... Uh, what we do know is if there wasn't injuries to Adamida, Jordan Hugel and Timu Puki, then Josip Dermich would know nowhere near a conversation about coming back into the fold because they made it quite clear that they were moving in one direction. Him, Leitner, Tribal, they unfortunately had to go in another direction. That's football. Tribal's spoken since, since he's got the Blackburn about how he, you know, it's part of the business that he, he, he was deemed surplus to requirements and, and he wanted to go out and play football and credit to him. The other two, we don't believe they had any opportunities from what I'm led to believe. There wasn't any real um, clubs knocking down Norwich's door in the summer. Um, so, unfortunately, they're under contract. Dermich is under contract for 2022. He's on very good money. So, in, in his view, he will, he will turn up and try and be professional as he can be. And um, if he's not... A, deemed to be a, an option for the manager, then so be it. But uh, I don't think it helps any situation for, for that to play out and for him to sort of move on to his social platforms is probably not a good sign. Uh, it's certainly not a good sign in terms of his approachment back into the first team path because I'd imagine 
Farker and Weber will be less than impressed that uh, that distraction. Daniel will probably now get asked about it again uh, in the next days ahead of Luton, and it, and it's it's something that he doesn't really want to be drawn on clearly. Um, but you know, setting all that to one side, the reality is they have three senior recognised strikers currently unavailable. Um, you've got Marco Steepman born to score goals, shifted into a makeshift attacking role. And there's a Swiss international who has been very decent, albeit with a lot of injuries subsequently, but very decent at Bundesliga level. And he's only still 28. You know, this isn't a 35-year-old on his last legs. Um, in a purely footballing context, Josip Dermic should be in the conversation, but it isn't just about the football, unfortunately. There's obviously personalities involved and We'll see. We'll see whether common sense prevails because if we move forward into this period now with Tyrese Omatoy as the only sort of striking option, then uh, ultimately I don't think Norwich's chances of getting back to the Premier League anytime soon are going to be enhanced. Not saying Dermot is necessarily the answer, but you would think, given his pedigree, going a step down from the Premier League where he didn't really look like he had the skills and the toolkit to, to really thrive at that level, albeit in a team who were on the back foot a lot of the time, not creating a huge amount of chances in the second part of the season. But surely, given the dominance they have in terms of territory and possession at championship level, they would create enough chances for a guy who's played at the top level for club and country to score goals. So it's a very interesting debate. But um, as we sit here now, Will he be? Will he be playing in a Norwich shirt anytime soon? No, I don't see it. And uh, and he probably his post is probably a signal that, that he feels whatever Daniel has said to the contrary. There's no way back for him. And uh, you know maybe it might. What this might do is just hasten uh, or focus everybody's minds and hasten his exit in January because he would probably feel I need to get out and be playing as liner because it's okay having a contract here, but before you know it, they'll be out of contract. And if they haven't played or kicked a ball for two or three seasons. They're not exactly an attractive proposition, then. Yeah, absolutely. It, it rumbles on, and it's it's certainly going to be interesting to see what Daniel Farker does uh, respond to that with in the press conference ahead. Um, let's hear from from City's boss. Here's what he had to say after the one-one draw with Coventry on Saturday. You've been on the right side of late drama this season. A lot of times, it's gone for, gone against you today. Just give us your assessment overall. Yes, I think today you also have to accept sometimes that you're on the wrong side of the uh, of the story. Um, it's of course always annoying and disappointing when you concede that late in a in a uh, in a game and uh, such a late equaliser just with a few seconds to go. And uh, in this moment, yeah, you want to die and want to kill, and and um, it's always the same with emotions. But I also have to say that I can't complain too much what the lads are doing at the moment under the circumstances. Um, I think. Regarding our situation, also with the injured players, I think we played a really good uh, first half, um, dominated uh, the game. Coventry is a good side. They proved this today. They were there with good performance and also with confidence. They had nothing to lose today and came on the back of the clean sheet win against Cardiff. And um, it was difficult to press them, difficult to bypass the pressing, but uh, I think we were there with a really good uh, performance regarding our, our circumstances. The only thing I could criticise, perhaps we could have buried already the game at, at half-time because yeah, Mario Funchuk scored with a penalty situation. But we had also another penalty situation against Mario. I think when you watch the scene back, you have to say it's, it's also a penalty. We had Stickelman, one against one on the goalkeeper. We had Josh Martin, 10 yards in a free shooting position. Marcus Stickelman out of 20 yards. So especially when so many offensive players are injured, we should have been perhaps even a bit more effective to bury this game already. Um, in the second half, I have to say I was pleased with our game management yeah, because they substitute several times. They tried to put pressure on us, brought offensive players in, but we didn't allow them to have any chances. We dealt with all their set pieces. I can't remember one situation where we needed Michael McGovern with an outstanding save. So uh, I think we, we kept possession. We, we Our game management of the game was, was quite well. We were just struggling a bit then in the second half to create more chances in order, in order to score the game. Um, it was also a bit due to, of course, in our, our setup today up uh, up front and uh, our hands were a bit, bit tight. And um, yeah, the only thing I was a bit disappointed was then the scene uh, to the that led to the equaliser yeah, because we could have invested a bit more in our positioning in order to avoid the switch of the play. Then our positioning on the wing was also not not perfect, so we shouldn't have allowed the the cross in. And 
yeah, ten minutes before we we switched to to five at the back, uh, three man formation, in order to because they brought a second striker in in order to stay in overload against the two strikers. And in this scene, yeah, sadly we didn't drop uh, quick enough in order in order to use our overload. For that was just man against man, and uh, they had in, in both situation, yeah, they were ten inches ahead of my uh, centre backs. In each and every situation, was also difficult to defend. And then in the end, also a bit unlucky because actually it was an offside situation, but because Max was laying on the sideline injured, at least that's what the linesman said, uh, there was a no offside, also a bit unlucky in the, in the last moment. So um, unnecessary, of course, a bit annoying, but I can't complain too much. And, and uh, yeah, so um, for that, yeah, we are a bit, bit annoyed uh, of this equalizer, but again, so what we showed again in terms of, in terms of spirit and in terms of togetherness under the circumstances, a, a big will to go through this game was was great, and yeah, if you then um, have to accept a, such an unlucky equalizer anyhow, then you can't be too annoyed and can't complain too much. So uh, we have to take the positives out of this, and that's what we will do uh, from tomorrow. You mentioned him there. Obviously, it's very early. It's, you know, I wouldn't expect it to be able to give us too much information. But what has Max done there? Looks like his left ankle. Yes, if I'm honest, I'm also a bit sick to, to speak about injuries. Was an unbelievable um, heavy contact against the shin, I think. So at least it seems like the ankle is, uh, is all right. So at least some use. It's painful, so he's not able to walk anymore. So it's pretty pretty swollen. So I hope it's just anyhow a heavy contact and then a, a bruise that hurts for a few days. But uh, we have to assess him. So um, it's too early to judge something. And uh, if I have to judge our luck with injuries at the moment. Yeah, probably there is also something with the bone. So we have to wait a little bit um, what the assessment is. It's too early to judge. But uh, the one thing that we don't need um, is, uh, is another injury. That's definitely for sure. Um, yeah, but for, for him, then also unlucky, unlucky situation. So just to clarify, Daniel, you think it's probably shin rather than ankle? Yes, exactly. It seems like the ankle is, is all right. And uh, the chin was then bloody and pretty, pretty swollen. At least the first assessment was... It has just something to do with the, with the chin and hopefully, hopefully just a, just a heavy contact in the situation. But uh, yeah, we need to wait for further assessment. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. There we go. That was City boss Daniel Farker and, and his thoughts on on the game yesterday. Let's um, let's let's reflect, gents. Um, Dave, we'll start with Marco Steeperman before we come on to sort of the events of the game. I, I kind of felt like people were watching him a little bit more closely than, than perhaps they usually would, and how he would get on in in the absence of, of Timu Puki as a makeshift striker. Obviously, Paddy um, said the quote earlier on that, of course, is certainly he's sort of become famous for in, in these parts the, the born to score goals one um how, how do you think he did in his first um game as a as a makeshift striker for Norwich yeah it, it wasn't great was it he he has had problems this season Daniel's talked about back and neck issues and I didn't think he looked particularly mobile um and particularly that last 20 minutes he, he looked to be running on empty and the, but, the, you know, I don't think you can really judge Stephen too much. It was just a case of, you know, do your best, have a crack, see what you do. And he didn't really manage to do a, a great deal, I didn't think, and, and looked, a, looked a bit lost. But I think the main thing that emphasises is how spoiled Norwich are at this level with Timo Pukki. He is an international striker who has been in really good form in recent years. And his movement, his intelligence, his just his instinct of where to be are really, you know, probably too good for the championship when he's in full flight. So it reminded me, you know, how old is Pookie now? He's only 30, isn't he? But I was thinking about how people used to talk about Teddy Sheringham when he was in his 30s, about how he had that game intelligence. And he, because he didn't have the speed, he was able to read the play. He was able to be in the right positions. Well, Pookie's still got the speed and he's, in that position to make that run, isn't he? And Stephen wasn't in the position to then make the run. He was always starting from, you know, a yard or two back from where Pookie would have been to smell that opportunity that was going to come. Because normally Stephen's the man triggering, or not always, but sometimes triggering Pookie going through, isn't he? So to make that adjustment was was a big ask of him. And I don't think it, it really worked out. Um, I hope we don't have to see him playing there too much longer because that's not where he's best. But 
as I said earlier in, in the pod, um, I don't think him and Vrancic have really got a full 90 minutes in them at the moment because they, they're both of their seasons personally have been a bit sort of up and down, haven't they? We've, we've seen good moments from them both, but they both had sort of bad games as well. Or, or not bad games, but maybe not particularly effective games. So hopefully we won't see him there too much more. Although even if Hugill isn't out longer, you know, if he doesn't need surgery on his shoulder and he, and he is back in a couple of weeks, um, you know, it's relying on Pookie to actually be able to play full games, isn't it? But the be- the, the sooner that Stigman's back in his better position in the number 10 role, the better. Yeah, I thought it was quite telling that his, his instinct was to drop in, wasn't it, and try and receive the ball to feet in front of the defence rather than maybe what Norwich City typically have with Timu Puki, which is a willingness to sort of stretch the game in behind and, and play on the shoulder a bit more. Um, but but someone we did see do that, Paddy, was was Prijemek Placetta, who I felt had, particularly maybe in the second half, where he, he could utilise his pace a bit more, maybe one of his better games for Norwich City. It does see, feel like, quietly, he's beginning to find his feet in the Championship. Yeah, you got to like what you're seeing from that guy, don't you? I mean, uh, and the fact he's now a fully-fledged Polish international, um, talking about the negative aspects of club and country uh, in terms of workload, but for him, going away, thinking he's off with Polish under-21s, where he's essentially been playing for the last season or two, and then to come back and you're playing with Robert Lewandowski in uh, Nations League qualifiers, um, he will have the confidence he will have taken from that is immense, you would think, and... Uh, and and you can you do get in a sense that he is getting to to is there's a comfort about how he's playing now, both in terms of understanding what his role is in the team, interacting with the other players, and maybe just the, the league in general. You know, he he would have been told all sorts about what the championship is in store and the physicality of it, but that certainly doesn't look to have phased him. And if he can just be used in the right way, you can see you saw there in the second half, two or three times in behind uh, the perfectly timed pass. And and I thought, you know, it wasn't just one of those where, dare I say it, on El Hernandez, for me, always more often than not takes the wrong decision when he gets in those positions with his natural athleticism. With him, he was looking up, he was trying to cut back the right ball into the box for, for a yellow shirt. And uh, and he looks to, to have a bit more calmness when he gets in those areas than maybe Hernandez. So, yeah, there's good signs there. Um, and relative to what we're talking about with Steeperman, he stretches the play and, and Norwich need that because too often they will, and again, Coventry did it, you know, they 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 strung, I mean, it was nominally a three at the back, but it was essentially a five at the back. They tried to fill holes, condense the pitch and make it very hard. And in those type of games, you need a player like Puerta to stretch the play um, and do something a little bit different to, to the pass-pass, Buendia, Skip, Rupp when they're available type of, of way Norwich set about the task in midfield. So, yeah, good signs. And um, it'd be nice. I thought Josh Martin showed one or two glimpses as well. Um, faded a touch, but that's understandable. You know, it's been a big week for him. First two senior starts. But there's good signs, I think, there moving forward that he can add to that mix in the wide areas. And, of course, the way Daniel sets his teams up, what they do in the wide areas is quite key as well. Where If it's not coming from the overlapping fullbacks, you need that width um, from the likes of Poeta, Martin, uh, Hernandez when he's fit. So, yeah, looks a good bit of business so far. But um, obviously, the jury probably stays out for, for the rest of the season. But early signs, yeah, that looks like one of the one of the plus points in their summer recruitment, definitely. It, it feels to me a bit like um, that period when Hernandez arrived from January to the end of the season, and, and maybe him sort of understand the championship a little bit. I, I kind of feel like. Hopefully, the the other side of Christmas will we'll begin to see a bit more of of Placetta. Um, Dave, is, is there a point to be made that Placetta's performances have kind of improved a bit more when when he's been playing in front of Jakob Sorensen and maybe uh, a full back who is a bit more conservative and, and doesn't necessarily want to show the same attacking intent as as Xavi Quintia? I remember the the game at Bournemouth where uh, Quintia and, and Placetta play together and they kind of ended up taking the each other's space and maybe didn't necessarily have the um, have the ability to attack the, the full-back in, that both of them wanted because they were both trying to do the same thing. Do you, do you kind of see that, that maybe Jakob Sorensen's uh, pragmatic approach to playing as a full-back as, as opposed to Quintier's perhaps more instinctive um, nature to get forward is, is kind of helping Placetta come out a bit more? Yeah, I can see that. I, I think you could see evidence of their relationship starting to to blossom more so on uh, in the last few games. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, I, I think Poiheta's just on a on a steady incline, a steady improvement. I, I think we will see him come good. He's going to have a really good game. He's going to spank one in from 30 yards or something at some point because we've seen that super cut of his goals in Poland where he was pulling the trigger from distance quite a lot. And I think... Um, I think there's definitely a lot to come from him, and, and as you say, that comparison with Hernandez is definitely um, it's definitely pertinent because that first six months you could see that Hernandez had it in his locker but wasn't quite able to to produce it, and then obviously the title-winning season he he was brilliant. And, you know what was it? Eight goals, nine assists, something like that in the championship from Hernandez. So um, yeah, I, I think Guajeta's sort of bubbling up nicely. It, it would be good if he could really sort of um, take a leap forward at some point or it could do with him um, be becoming a match winner because he's, he's not doing that yet. Um, I, you know, he won the penalty yesterday with that good bit of urgency, good bit of pace. Uh, Alex Tetty with the pass, wasn't it, into the box? Um, it, it was pretty good yesterday, but I think that was one of Sorensen's best games probably as well in terms of he's possibly seen the way that Barley Mumba came on in the Swansea game prior to the international break and was a real attacking asset. And he probably thought, well, I, I need to have a bit more of that in my game. But his use of the ball is so reliable, isn't it? That he does, he, he, alongside Gibson as well, they are able to combine with the midfield quite well. And, you know, even though we're, we're sort of saying that Norwich weren't anywhere near their best and stuff, they still had 63% of possession against Coventry. So, you know, steady steady improvement from from both of those two really but there's a lot of pressure on them both to perform and and, and Daniel could certainly do with with Guajeta becoming a match winner at some point in these next few games yeah there was a, a nice moment in the first I wasn't there for, that created the chance for Josh Martin where Sorensen just um, exchanged passes with Skip and played him in on the left, which was quite nice. Nice to see some sort of attacking intent from from him. And um, Pad Davis has kind of teed it up quite nicely, but the, the major talking point after Coventry's best chance probably came from from across from Dabo that Jamie Allen um, headed unmarked over the bar. I think he, he probably wanted that to feet, to be honest. And then obviously the chance that Norwich had through Martin, Placetta Aarons went um, close sort of soon after. But um, Alex Tetti or, or Alexandria Pirlo Tetti on, on the evidence of yesterday, maybe he, he plays a, a ball over the top. We, we see Placetta's pace. Probably, it, it, I've, I've seen a few replays and I'm not really convinced who gets there first, but um, I, I can certainly see why the referee decided to give a penalty to Norwich on, on that occasion because Placetta did look to get across Wilson to get to the ball. What, what are your views on, on that penalty? Oh, you're on mute, Pad, I think. Sorry, boys, try again. <laughs> uh, in a vileless world, it uh, it looked a penalty in real time, so you can understand. But I think Coventry do have a, a fair fair shout. Then that's not with my biased hat on. I think he, the keeper's got the ball. Uh, clearly, both hands are on the ball. But it's, it's momentum. And I, I, I don't confess to know the laws of the game that well now in terms of you make contact with the ball, but you go through the player with your momentum because he obviously did then. He's not going to be able to get the ball, suddenly put the brakes on. He's swept Puerta out the way. Puerta's quite clever. He's got his body in front of the ball. Um, so I can actually see why both both sides of the equation um, would would be happy. Uh, but Mark Robbins was absolutely adamant uh, it wasn't a penalty. I, I'd incline to ag agree, but, um, but by the same token, you know, if you're Norwich, it looked a penalty in real time. and. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those. It'd be interesting, though, having said that, if that was in the Premier League, would that have been overturned by VAR? I don't know. Nobody knows now where, where we are with VAR, so it's probably best not to go down that road. But um, but you go by player reactions and, and the Coventry keeper and the defenders were absolutely incensed. So they clearly felt, and they're as close to the action as, well, the referee, closer perhaps. They clearly felt it wasn't a penalty. So And I don't think they were trying to swing the lead. I, I, I think they genuinely felt they'd gotten off of the ball. So... One that probably fell in Norwich's favour. There's been others that haven't this season. Um, but ultimately, it wasn't enough because that flurry just before then, actually, where they did have two or three good chances, and Daniel touched on this after the game, he felt they could have been a bit out of sight by half-time, and that would have probably been harsh on Coventry because it was a very even first half, I thought, in terms of what both teams were trying to achieve. But if Norwich had been quite sharp and gone two or three up, that might have put the game to bed. And then... We wouldn't really need to worry too much about what went on in the 89th minute. But, um, you know, that's been the story of the season, really. I mean, bar Bristol City and probably bar Stoke, 
they haven't really cut loose for, for, for the chances that they've created. And whoever is fit and whoever is available, that needs to change, really, because as was proven yesterday, pertinently, you know, they, they go down the stretch, they're 1-0 up, 89 minutes on the clock, while they have closed out the vast majority of the games, and that's why they're on a 10-match and beat a run at the top of the table, particularly when you've got such a gruelling workload for those players, it's going to turn. There will be games now, like yesterday, where they just don't shut up shop and they just momentarily switch off and Max Aarons gets caught under the ball and then the two centre-backs get caught and there's a little bit of luck for Coventry where it ricochets. That's going to happen, unfortunately. You cannot continue to expect that they, they, they're they protecting slender leads all the time. It's just not going to happen. It's not feasible in the Championship. So, yeah, long-winded answer, but I think... Uh, I think Norwich probably were a little bit fortunate with the penalty. Um, but by the same token, you know, Coventry got what they deserved in the end, they will feel. Uh, they did hit the post in the second half as well. So, as I said at the outset, probably a draw on balance was the fair result. Yeah, I mean, Stigman curled an effort wide that we kind of spoke about. But after that, I'm struggling to really think of of, of any chances Norwich created um, thereafter. It was, it was probably all about Coventry and the way they, they altered the game. Um, Dave, that, that goal late on, for you, is it is it a result of, and, and again, kind of alluded to this earlier on, in terms of the tactical switch to the free at the back, or is it just that, that Max Aarons gets caught out for you? Well, watching it back on the replay, it's actually a much better pass than I realised in real time. Um, maybe even a little bit of luck on it, because it just seems to keep fading into um, Giles' path. And, and then you can see Max panics, doesn't he? He's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble here, because it, it's just gone over his head and he knows if he doesn't stop that cross coming in, he's in trouble. Obviously, him then being stranded on the turf and playing them on side is is pretty unfortunate, isn't it? But, you know, Hanley and Gibson have sort of hit the panic button as well a bit. I mean, they, Gibson plays it back into um, Biamu's path. And, it, yeah, it's it's a sloppy goal. But I think I bad said right at the top of the pod that Coventry probably deserved an equaliser. And I, I would agree with that. I thought they were... Um, you know, they didn't turn up and park the bus. They, I thought Robbins sort of showed that he's a, he's a manager with a with a bit of ambition and a bit of bravery. And, you know, I said about Norwich having 63% of possession, but Coventry had eight corners to Norwich's one. So um, they also had more shots at goal. They had 13 to Norwich's nine um, on target. They had four shots on target. And so that it's not like they came to Carroll Road and, and, and played as if they were a small team who were desperately trying to hang on in there in the championship. I think they, they did enough in that game to um, to deserve a point. And, and as we said earlier, that Robbins' use of his substitutes did help to turn things, <laughs> which is a bit ironic, isn't it, given how vocal Daniel Farker has been about yeah. wanting to have the nine subs and, and being able to bring five on. And then he's he's stuck in this situation where he decides to, to only name six on the bench. I, I still don't really understand why they, you don't fill out the bench. You know, if those four outfield um, academy lads were there and unlikely to get a lot, much of a run out, then what harm is there being another three academy lads on there too? Who, you know, what if Sorensen had done his knee ligament in, in the tenth minute, and then you really haven't got any left back options? Why, why not have Rob Nizet on the bench? I don't, I don't quite understand that, but I don't, I don't think it's really a time to get stuck into Daniel Fiker about it because you know. The, the poor guy's got 12, 13 players missing. And, and the, the quotes that we got from Alex Tetty from after the game point out that Norwich could have, can name two different 11s when everyone's fully fit and available, which would do a good job in the championship. So, yeah, it's, I, I don't think you want to be piling in too much. Uh, you know, really, that's a bit of an irrelevance. Yeah, it is. I, I, I do wonder if, if part of it was to just to temper expectations. Of course, the, the 23s played on the Friday as well, which probably didn't help matters. I, I would argue it was only uh, Omotoyi and, and Omabamadile who um, only played the first half. So maybe that was that was in his thinking as as well. Um, you, you're right, though, compared to, let's say, Birmingham, who, who maybe are, <laughs> are probably at the opposite end of the spectrum, who came to Carroll had very little ambition. This um, probably was a better performance from an opposition in, in terms of the way they got at Norwich and, and there was quite a willingness as well. And, and Robbins was a very vocal presence throughout, but particularly in that first half, um, a, a, a willingness to to press Norwich and, and to upset it. And, and I guess um, a, a part of that was, um, was was having Michael McGovern in goal. And Paddy Daniel spoke about sort of the, the change and the adaptation they'd need to take with, with him being in goal and uh, how, he, how he plays with a different foot. And, and I think the 
fans have, have been quick to point out maybe the difference in terms of his quality of distribution. But beyond one moment where he sort of juggled a, a fairly routine catch, a solid performance from, from McGovern. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. I mean, Coventry were progressive, but but it wasn't a type of game where he was being called upon to make a lot of shot stopping, which Daniel would tell you was his strongest suit. There was a nice save from Callum O'Hare at his near post in the second half uh, when Hanley just sort of got a little bit of deflection so the ball got diverted. Um, we thought in real time he might have got something on that one that actually clipped the post, but it's quite clear on, on the replays that it actually bounced back off the post and then hit Steeperman and went out for a corner. Um, but that, yeah, spill aside in the first half, um, I don't think you could really call into question anything he did. Um, I thought it was noticeable. The centre-backs were definitely not passing back as often as he would do if Tim Krull was there. So clearly there was something that, uh, as a coaching staff and defence, they'd worked on that they did need to toy a little bit with the setup. Um, and again, you know, as we move forward, there's a block of games now where that's going to be the case. And, and that does alter how Norwich play because it is so intrinsic that Tim Krull will build from the back with his ball, with the ball at his feet. And if they're not going to be doing that in the same sort of quantities, then the way they move it up the pitch and through midfield is going to have to slightly alter. So they'll have to work on that. Not that they've got a huge amount of time to work on it, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think any Norwich fan would have, would have called into question Michael McGovern on yesterday's performance. And you just hope that remains the case. We, we don't need to get into, he's not Tim Krull again, but, but, but ultimately, what he is an, is an experienced campaigner who you would think for a, a short, relatively short period of game should be able to maintain a reasonable level of performance because of his age and his experience. He shouldn't be phased. You know, it, it shouldn't be a rabbit in the headlights thing, which you might have got with a younger player um, who could sink or could swim. So I think with McGovern, you're reducing the variables in terms of what you're going to get from him. And uh, yeah, it's not just on him. The onus is on the lads in front as well. They also need to step up and, and try and, and protect him where they can. And and apart from one, sadly, incident in the 89th minute, they pretty much did that. You know, Coventry didn't really, for all the sort of flurries they had, I didn't really feel they were peppering his goal. So, yeah, good first step. But, you know, I'm sure he'll be tested again at Luton in, mid in midweek. Yeah, I think it's a, maybe a slightly different situation as well than the one he faced in the Premier League where he had to come in against Aston Villa and, you know, everyone sort of knows what happened thereafter. Um, just to, to finish off the, the pod chaps, I thought we'd, we'd obviously discuss the news that um, was announced this week about well, 2,000 fans returning to Carroll Road. Obviously, Norwich travelled to, to Luton on, on Wednesday. It looks like there's going to be 1,000 fans in at, at Kenilworth Road for that. Um, Dave, how much of a lift will this get? I mean, Norwich probably could have done with them yesterday, in fairness, but next Saturday, and, and we, we've kind of been fortunate enough to see the 1,000 against Preston and the difference that made, but how much of a difference is that going to make to games at Carroll Road? And, and do you think it will swing it into Norwich's favour or will it actually have a reverse effect and, and maybe we'll see a, a way teams look to use it to create somewhat of a, a siege mentality? Yeah, I've got a horrible feeling that when a decent amount of fans come back, it might have a negative impact the first game um, and that the players uh, get a bit distracted by it and and are sort of uh, turning to the crowd again for a bit of adrenaline, particularly if they've still got this amount of injuries. Um, you hope that's not the case, but I, I don't think 2,000 fans is going to make a massive difference, to be honest. It's not like, uh, it, I don't think it can have the impact of a full house, can it? it it's just nice. It's good that those fans can be back in there, that they can see their uh, club's players up close and personal, that they can actually enjoy the game and enjoy the experience of going to football again. Um, you know, hopefully be able to get themselves a, a bovril or a hot chocolate during these cold months that are, are coming up. We were pleased to finally see some coffee return in the uh, press room yesterday, weren't we? Because it, it is getting cold. But um, yeah, no, I don't think it'll make it a, a huge difference. It's just... It's just nice to be taking a step in the right direction, <coughs> pardon me, um, isn't it? Because it's just been so drawn out and infuriating now. You know, we've been watching football like this since June. And you know, if you think back to when all this started in March, and it all happened quite quickly in football terms, didn't it? When, once coronavirus took hold and, you know, it was in a, the space of a few days that, you know, Arteta got it at Arsenal, didn't he? And we'd gone to Bramall Lane for that Sheffield United game when the players weren't allowed to shake hands. And and then, bang, three months without football. And, and no one really, as it broke in March, knew that 
we'd be well we'll be in december in a couple of days that we'd still be behind closed doors so it's not been easy to deal with um you know watching games on i follow I, I suppose some norwich fans are probably watching more norwich games than than they normally would because they're being able to watch a lot of the away games on telly and things like that but it's it's just not the same as being there is it as, as the buzz of, of sharing it with with fans sharing the good moments sharing the bad and um I, I guess the players i asked tim crawl about this before the break actually but after the swansea game and they've had to get to that point now where you have to motivate yourself it's a different approach to the game isn't it and they will then have to adjust again once fans are there because as well as the good side of things you do get the moans and groans and things don't you it's just natural particularly at Carroll Road um, but if there's 2,000 fans in at Sheff- against Sheffield Wednesday and Nottingham Forest then great because it's it's a hint back towards normality which is kind of the overriding feeling within society at the moment isn't it that you know lockdown ends in a few days as well and you know, I know we're back into the tiered system but hopefully things can keep moving in the right direction and we can start moving back towards normal life because it's getting it's, it is definitely at that point now where just acting normally and you know nipping down the pub with your mates or going out for a meal with some friends or whatever it's starting to feel like a bit of a distant memory you know 2,000 fans could be at Cat Road for that game against um, uh, Sheffield Wednesday next week but I can't go around my dad's on Wednesday I'm not working this I've got a week off haven't I but I was hoping to be able to go and watch the Luton game around my dad's house and have a beer with him because that's not something I very often get am able to do but there'll be 2,000 fans at Carrow Road on Saturday yet I can't go around to my dad's so we're still in a weird situation we've still got a, a strange situation to persevere with and, and the health stuff which can't be forgotten in amongst all this but from a football perspective it's just nice to to be able to see that bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and it's it's been a, a long and, and very dark tunnel, particularly obviously with, with Norwich's form over Project Restart, which I think um, amongst supporters, it was meant to lift the, the will of the country, wasn't it? Or the spirit of the country or whatever. And um, then Norwich produced those performances, which I, I think turned probably everyone back off again. Um, but, but Pad, Dave's right, isn't he, in terms of, of these fans coming back? It isn't obviously a full house, it isn't necessarily going to have the impact, but it is a step back to maybe larger crowds in, in the future, a step back into the right direction towards a full house to Carroll Road, which hopefully with the news of, of, of various vaccines on, on the horizon as well, um, means that hopefully by Easter things are looking a little bit different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. That is the key. Unfortunately, between now and, now and then, and we don't need to get too political, but there's four or five day break where we're allowed to go loopy again. Um, thanks to this wonderful government. Uh, that if that if people don't, uh, all joking aside, if people don't still continue to observe the the, the elements they need to in that period, then the, the R number is going to go back up again. We'll be possibly into more tighter measures in January, February. And if that is the case, then that will of course ripple into professional sport again, and we could be again behind closed doors. That's the reality of it. So it, it feels like we. What we're about to get into now, starting with Sheffield Wednesday and the Forest, is probably where we were with the Preston. It's it, experiment for me, um, but it's not now. This is where we are for, for the foreseeable, and it's only going to go up and up and up in terms of the capacity that are allowed in. I think we've got to get through the Christmas period, um, and then you know, by all by all reasonable reports you read, it's going to be sort of Easter onwards, where the vaccine can be rolled out on a wider basis. So. If that is the case um, and everything goes to plan in terms of the medical side of, of this uh, pandemic, then maybe by the end of the season, we are in a position where, you know, you get into, you know, 10,000 plus at Cairo games. But I think proper normality in that sense is probably going to be until next season. I don't think we're suddenly going to see a huge escalation in terms of the fans numbers that are allowed in um, because obviously the, the history of this tells you this year that, when it was when we released out of that first lockdown and, and over the summer period, um, we've ended up now again back into a tighter lockdown, and, and the vaccine isn't going to be readily available anytime in the next three or four months. So, yeah, I think there need, needs to be a bit of a tempered. While it would be very, very welcome to see some fans at Car Road and that Preston experiment, that you know, for a thousand fans, they did not make some racket that day. But whether that was because we'd, we'd kind of got used to complete silence and just hearing the booming voice of coaches and players. Um, but it felt far bigger than a thousand support at Cairo. So 
2000 this coming weekend is going to be a real special occasion and and then moving forward but as i say for me it it probably means we're going to get down to january february and we're 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 back into no supporters allowed in again for a period so yeah enjoy this phase as long as it lasts um and then as i say with a fair wind this season will end eventually and uh, and when we get to the start of the following season i think then hopefully we'll be back to proper normality in terms of 27,000 at Carrow Road and let's all hope that is to welcome a team back in the Premier League there you go. A, a nice end, a nice note to uh, to end the pod on. Hopefully, it, it, it would be very strange if Norwich fans left their their team um, scrapping for survival in the Premier League. I've seen them get relegated, and then by the time they're back into Carrow, they're back in the top flight again. But hopefully, that is the case. Um, Jen, thank you very much for for joining me. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, Pinkin.com is uh, the place for all the Norwich City news, views, analysis, and uh, opinion as well. Um, we'll be at Kenilworth Road on Wednesday. That's that's going to be very interesting. A very interesting dynamic. Fingers crossed Norwich can get a good performance and um, hopefully extend that unbeaten run to 11. Um, hopefully those injuries don't get uh, too much worse uh, or worsen um, in, in the coming days. That's, that's the hope. Thank you. Stay safe. See you soon.